Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Edition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I am your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we've got Dominic Amendum from the University of North Carolina Greensboro on the show. Did you notice the intro change? For most of the first hundred plus episodes, I've made some kind of subtle pun in that intro on the kind of show that we have lined up for you. And I think I just want one less pun in every episode. So we'll still have plenty of them, I'm sure, but I've made this change. Probably should have done it at the beginning of season three, but I'm doing it now better late than ever. Um, I think you're really going to dig this episode. It's a really fun conversation. We cover a lot, including some specifics that go beyond UNCG's wonderful program, which I think, as you'll hear in the episode, I give a bit of praise to them as a really successful, growing program. Now, All of you out there, please don't hear that praise. If I didn't heap it on another exciting growing program, some condemnation on that other program, I've heard some of our listeners overly dissecting which words I use for different schools and trying to kind of like backwardly engineer my secret rankings. Of course, we all know my true secret rankings are only available on our Patreon page. Um, Go to patreon.com and go search for us and try to give us a lot of money. That's a joke if you couldn't tell on that one. Um, But it is a really hard to find thing, right? This idea of like, It's a growing program. It's doing better in the quote-unquote rankings or esteem of um, certain students, whether it's growing in prominence or whatever the sort of ephemeral, ever-shifting landscape of this process. Um, You know, older programs might dip a little bit, new ones rise. And I think it's really hard to break these down into really easily definable tiers, even though all of us sort of have our ideas of, of some different tiers. It's why I lambast the top five or the top 10 so much, even though, of course, on some level, We all have our personal preference for us if we were to sit down and rank them. Well, there's a little bonus takeaway at the top. How about that? You're welcome. Um, Happy fall to all of you out there. Things are going really well in MTCA land. Um, We're gearing up for our biggest mock of the year, our October mock. It's a really popular time to do a mock because it can prep you for all of your fall early auditions so well. Um, And the week after that, we're going to be heading out to one of those early auditions in Pittsburgh Unifieds. Uh, We mentioned PUA on this very pod with Dominic, where we'll get to see Dominic and many of our other scholastic friends of the pod, both old and new. Uh, We really love getting to be a part of PUA each year. We lead warm-ups and pump-ups and parent informational meetings, masterclasses, Q&As, all sorts of really exciting stuff. And for those of you who are participating in Pittsburgh or any of those very early audition creations, um, I think Dominic gives some really good advice about the longer lasting nature of the relationship that really becomes a necessity for any early fall audition. That you shouldn't view it as a set it and forget it kind of thing if you're interested in the school, but as the beginning of a months long relationship, especially since Dominic says what we so often say here at MTCA, that for programs with a smaller class size, they are making the majority of those decisions during the prime season, which may be nearly six months later, depending when your audition takes place. So if you haven't interacted since the fall, you're likely not going to be fresh on their minds. I think he gives some really great advice about how to try to turn those early relationships into potential advantages for you. So I um, urge you to take that advice. Um, And of course, I think it's worth remembering that all of these early paid audition experiences, they are advertising opportunities for the schools for you to learn about them. We always say it, and I think it bears remembering that you are the customer in this process. You are the customer, um, and hopefully it'll help you to remember that if you're dealing with any 
many nerves this fall. But we really do love PUA, uh, Pittsburgh Unifieds, that is, if we're not used to the acronyms, MTCA, PUA, we do lots of acronyms here. Um, we've participated the last number of years, and the moms that run that program have hearts of gold uh, and all the students' real best intentions in mind. And I think that's in contradiction to so many of these kind of early consortiums, which can be a little bit more about doing a cash grab from the families, maybe especially preying on families who don't know this process well and just think they can be, quote unquote, done early, right? Uh, the reason Pittsburgh and MTCA have this special relationship that we do, other than, of course, our own shared Pittsburgh connection, is it's we really share the values of putting students first in navigating this crazy process. I think there are a lot of people who say that's their goal in this college prep world, but precious few who consistently lead with that ethos. Okay, that was a long intro. I cut one pun and added like three extra minutes of intro. I hope you enjoyed. But let's get to this interview with Dominic Amendem from UNCG. Well, we are so excited to be joined by Dominic Amendum. Uh, Dominic has a degree from the UNC Greensboro, this very same, a BM. He has been on Broadway in shows like Wicked, where he's also done the LA and the Touring Company as the music director. Um, he's worked on First Date with friend of the pod, Krista Rodriguez. Also recently was working on the Wicked Part 1 movie with friend of the pod, Ethan Slater. And that's all we'll say about that right now at the moment. Um, and Dominic is currently the coordinator of the musical theater program at UNC Greensboro, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, it is located in Greensboro, North Carolina. They have class sizes of about eight students per class uh, and the degree offer in BFA in musical theater, BA in drama. Dominic, how are you doing today? Welcome on the pod. I am great. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. So I gave that little couple bullet points of the bio, but anything else you want people to know about you in terms of your journey to UNCG or your journey back? to UNCG maybe? Yeah, well, you know, it, it, my my arrival back here was a coming home of sorts. I My undergraduate degree is from here and it was a very special time for me. Um, I left North Carolina soon after and moved to New York and had my career, uh, worked as a, as a music director in commercial theater for about, um, I don't know, about 18 years. Um, and I mm -hmm. actually am still working in the industry, but um, uh, about five or six years ago, the university said, you know, we're really looking to start this, this BFA musical theater program and asked me if I would come down and coordinate it. So it, it felt like the, the, an amazing move for me and my family. And it was really exciting yep. to have the opportunity to, to create a program like this. And really cool. Maybe we'll chat a little bit as we go, but just about, I mean, talk about some people say I work in the industry, meaning like I like direct a local show or whatever, but <laughs> you're, you were, when we were scheduling this, you were in London doing the wicked movie. So, um, you really mean working professionally when you say working professionally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, it's one of the things that I love about, uh, the, the combination of doing this work still, and then bringing that experience back to our students here and, and keeping our, our program really up to date on what's happening in the industry, working at, at top levels still in the industry is really exciting right. for me. It keeps me invested in the work we're doing here um, at the university. I love it. All right. So let's dive in to UNCG. And are we okay if I colloquially call it UNCG? That's what to... that's what we all call it. Yep. Okay, good. When I say UNCG Greensboro, then I'm like, it's too many Gs. <laughs> exactly. Double the G. We don't want to do it. Um, okay. So let's just talk a little bit about what it means to be a UNCG student in your experience and as that's shifting. So what it has meant and then also sort of what you intend of what a UNCG student is. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think one of the things that we're proudest about is the diversity of our campus. We we are one of a few minority-serving institutions in the nation. So I think um, UNCG students come from. Sorry, I mean majority minorities serving. Uh, yeah, we're yeah exactly. We have well, our our um our minority population at the university is is just over fifty percent, um, and there's uh -huh. only yep. about um or I think around ninety schools in the nation that that are um, classified yep. as such. Um, and so our students come from all walks of life, all backgrounds, and um. And, you know, I think the what, one of the most amazing things about the diversity you find here is that it's diversity of all types, um, uh, socioeconomic diversity, diversity of, of people, their background, whether they are the first time uh, degree seekers in their family, um, mm -hmm. you know, certainly gender diversity. And it, 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 it's just a, an incredibly um, uh, exciting melting pot of different people and different views and different backgrounds, um, which mm -hmm. I think really defines who we are. And that's both the university in general and the School of Theater. Yep. 
And, and then let's talk a little bit about the curriculum. So, you know, what are the four years? There's only 32 people in this BFA musical right. theater at any time. I mean, that is a very small program. Uh, to talk to us about what are they learning as their cohort of eight as they go through it? Classes, what, what's the journey from freshman, sophomore, junior, and then senior year? Yeah, I mean this. This could take up the rest of the podcast. Um, so what I'll what I'll say first. We're ready. We'll make it a four-hour podcast. Per- per- perfect. Um, what I'll say first is, um, you know, the 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 size of the program was a very deliberate choice. Um, what I, I jokingly say, you know, I know how to handle a, a, a cast of a large Broadway show, and our um, our program is about about that, which um, it mm-hmm. makes it so that we can really be individual and personalized with each student. So student mm-hmm. A's training progression might look very different from student B's training progression. And that comes down Mm -hmm. to dance and what they're working on their voice lessons and, you know, just you name it. Um, We're looking to individualize the training for each student. And I don't know how to do Mm -hmm. that with um, many more than, than eight in a cohort. It really allows us to get to know them and what they need. Um, And then as far as our, um, and you know, I think that's what everything we do in this program comes back to that individuality for me. Um, And then as far as the curriculum, uh, we have the the usual things that you would expect to find in a BFA program. We have um, eight semesters of private vocal study, hour-long private mm-hmm. lessons um, each semester. Um, we have musicianship classes to support um, each student's journey as a musician. We certainly have, one, I think, one of the best um, acting progressions in the nation. We, we, we built this program on a very successful BFA acting program that has a lot of mm-hmm. recent alums that are doing wonderful work, um, particularly on, on screen. Um, so our acting progression is um, a, a bit heftier than some and includes on-camera mm-hmm. training. Um, mm-hmm. And then also includes a lot of electives that students can take after they're done with the, um, with the regular acting progression. Um, mm-hmm. We also have um, dynamics classes like movement for the actor, voice for the actor. Um, you'll also find um, one progression that I'm very excited about is our musical theater studio progression, which is one uh, class per year. Um, in the freshman uh, uh, class we call cabaret class. It's where we really, mm-hmm. the freshmen just create a cabaret <clears throat> telling their own story with their own music uh, choices. But what we're really doing is working on storytelling and narrative and, um, you, uh-huh. you know, those, you know, they might not know it, but, uh, but that's what, what the class is. Um, we we and, talk about that a lot with our professional actors of like how, how important that skill is to market absolutely. yourself. Once you have a little success of going, that's often how you're paying some bills that you just absolutely. played off of on Broadway, go around the country doing your cabaret. It's how you, you make a lot of money doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's a really wonderful way for us to get to know our students better in that process, but also for them to start really thinking about narrative and storytelling and, and mm-hmm. scene to song and all of those things. Um, and that studio class progresses and then it goes right. The, the, the senior studio class, which I'm teaching right now is a class that is, um, all about digital content creation. So this is a way that uh-huh. you can see how our program is really reacting to what the industry is uh-huh. looking for right now. Um, we are working solely with the seniors on um, self-taping and actors access profiles and reels and all mm-hmm. these things that they will need to know um, as soon as they walk out the door of this, of this institution and start um, looking for work. So, um, yep. so that, that studio progression is really where it's our lab where, where we really put all the pieces together. Um, and then there's, cer- there's certainly a lot of other things, business of and theater history and musical theater history and, you know, all those kind of things that create a well-rounded performer. It, you've not yet mentioned dance significantly. Uh, yeah, How yes. does the dance classes work with leveling and, you know, is, are all eight always together? Do you do across the, the classes? How does yeah. that work? Well, I, it might surprise you to know that I didn't mention dance because I am not a dancer. So um, I, I will I will say <laughs> that shocked. first and foremost. I am um, I, I only know about the dance progression in that I coordinate the program. Um, but uh, the uh, the dance progression is again tailored to the student. It is um, uh, students. We place students initially in their progression um, based on their audition with us, and then on mm-hmm. the first day of classes, they go through a placement, uh, uh, kind of just like a, a dance call that is that is placement. Um, to make sure that they are placed in the correct place. Um, so our incoming freshman class, there are three different levels of ballet being taken by our, our freshmen that are that are here right now. Um, yep. The same can be true of jazz class. Um, you'll also uh, expect to take um, tap. Um, you'll take um, a semester of African dance, which uh, which we're very excited about, getting our students dancing in the community like that. Um, there's uh, contemporary classes. And then we have the UNCG School of Dance, which is a, has a wonderful BFA dance program. Uh-huh. which um, many of our classes are housed within the UNCG of, uh, School of Dance, but then certain things are more musical theater driven, like tap and like uh-huh. uh, we have a musical theater dance styles progression that works on 
both historic and contemporary choreographers' material. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a there's still a hefty dance component as well. And and if the you know freshmen the eight freshmen are broken to three levels of ballet, I assume are they taking with other dance students? They're not taking two person three person classes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And 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 some upperclassmen. You know, like there's there's some right. those that are placing into higher level classes might um, be joined by some upperclassmen. Um, those that are placing into lower level classes might be joined by some um, some um, dance minors and things like that. And we're really meeting the students where they are and then um, working to, to push them beyond that as, as they stay yep. with us. And then you mentioned, you know, it's built off of or you're using maybe some of the blueprint from the BFA acting program. How do the BFA acting and the BFA MT majors, how do they interact? Do they take some classes together? How do they sort of combine or not combine as they do? Yeah, you know, it's one of the things that I'm really proud of is the the great collaboration that exists between the acting faculty and the musical theater faculty. Um, and because of that, I think the camaraderie that exists between those two programs and the students in them. Um, it's common to see some sometimes some friction between programs like that in, in university settings. And we uh, thus far have been really successful in avoiding that, which I think is really important for our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, part of that is that musical theater and acting students take those first four acting classes and those two dynamics classes together. Um, and we don't differentiate. We, we, I often say we are an actor-driven musical theater program. Again, I think that's what the industry is is demanding now. Uh-huh. And um, so in those classes, we don't differentiate between, well, you're an actor and you're musical theater. So then you'll do this scene and you'll do that scene. Everyone right. is an actor. There is no, there there is no, you know, you're in this program, you're in that program. And I think that's really important to develop that community, but also give our musical theater students the expectation that we expect them to be just as good an actor as someone who's in that BFA acting uh, training progression. I love it. And if you're an actor, if you're our BFA actor, do you have access to some of those later MT classes? Can you you know, get into the MT studio if you audition in or how, how would that work if you go, I'm a great actor singer. I don't really want to dance, but I do love singing. Like, uh, you know, if you're in that kind of BFA actor kind of mode. Yeah, uh, we do have a, a few BFA actors that are in that um, uh, in that category. Um, there are, I will say there are certain classes like the upper level MT classes and the upper level acting classes that we do try to keep for those smaller cohorts, yep. those communities. That said, there are also other electives and upper level things that are shared. And um, and the other thing, again, because of the size of our programs, acting is 12, uh, which is also quite uh-huh. small, and musical theater is eight. You know, when a student comes to us and says, man, I really want to do whatever, um, the answer is very rarely absolutely not you know we, we have in this community we really try to support the students I have, I have students who are like i really want to compose music and i'm like mm-hmm. great let's call the school of music and get you in some composition classes and shore up your piano skills and you know and it's the same thing i just had a student email me yesterday saying hey i really want to take music theater studio three um i i, I he's a bfa actor and he was like I, I think i would really benefit from it he laid it out and i was like yeah great let's let's talk about how we can make that happen next semester um so it's all about the communication from the student. And if, if it's something that we can make happen, we will. You talked a little bit already in that fourth MT studio class of sort of preparing for self-taping and actors access, getting their reels together. But can we just talk about their kind of launch into the business, right? Some schools do a showcase. Some schools do only digital. Some people, How do you think about, you know, not just their preparation intellectually, but also then how are they meeting agents and managers and those kind of things? Yeah, um, it's a good question. And, you know, I think uh, we, like a lot of programs, have changed what this looks like um, over the last three, four years, thanks thanks to COVID. Um, because, you know, we were a school that did a New York showcase for, you know, I think 25 years. The BFA acting program had, had a well-established uh, New York showcase. And um, then COVID happened. And what was really exciting is... Um, the the year before COVID happened, our final in-person New York City showcase, we had already introduced a film element to our showcase. So our, our, the mm-hmm. BFA, this was before the, the BFA Musical Theater had any graduates, of course, So because we are a newer program. So, um, so our students would do their scene, and then there was a giant screen behind them, and then we would play um, film clips from their work in their on-camera training. Um, mm-hmm. And so when COVID happened and everyone scrambled to create digital, um, you know, taped showcases, we had these really beautiful, slick, um, filmed, uh, kind of, kind of like film excerpts. They're, they're filmed by Thomas Mendolia, who's a, an alum of our program and then went to USC film school and is having quite a run in LA now. And he comes back mm-hmm. and films our, films our showcase. So when everyone else was doing kind of, you know, scrappy, uh, rehearsal studio filming, we had these really beautiful, um, products to put out in the world. 
And um, so we got a lot of attention that year and our students got a lot of traction. And um, so then the next year we rolled to a fully virtual model, like everyone kind of did. And um, mm-hmm. again, we saw a lot of traction from our, from the industry, both because I think of the quality of what we were putting out um, compared to other programs uh, and just our students had that on camera training that it's a big part of the training there um mm-hmm. and so we have stayed with that model we we do a virtual showcase um we still have thomas uh fly in and he shoots it all for us we're doing scenes and songs for acting in musical theater um and then we package it in cooperation with the growing studio who um then blast it out to uh, well over a thousand agents managers casting directors and then mm-hmm. we do um targeted zoom sessions with certain agents and managers um, that are, are very dependent on also where our students, where that particular class sees themselves. A lot of our acting students, uh-huh. because we're in the Southeast, end up heading to Atlanta because there's so much work there right now mm-hmm. uh, for for on camera work. And so, um, so we always include Atlanta agents in that in that group. You know, so we can be really uh, deliberate about who we're inviting to join us via Zoom. Um, we also have agents and managers come and join us on campus as well. So it's all kind of part of a new you know, a, a new way of doing things that I think a lot of programs are starting to roll over to. Yep, totally. Well, and, and you you anticipated a future question just in terms of where do you think most of your BFA MTs end up? Is it mostly that they end up in New York? Do some go to yes. LA? Do some go to Atlanta? Yeah, um, mostly New York. Um, I will say we have, um, we've had an amazing run over the last um, year. We have a number of current students who are um, uh, one actually just booked a national tour yesterday. I can't say what yet, but um, and Congratulations. Um, uh, we had one that was on a national tour last year and is now moving on to the Wiz revival that will tour and then come to Broadway. And um, so uh-huh. we um, we have a lot of students who are actively still part of the program who are working um, around the nation. And then we have, uh, I would say, the students who are making the move to audition and kind of start to look for work are, are moving to New York. And then the reverse question, where in general do you feel like people come from? Um, or do many come from the North Carolina area? Or do they come from truly all over the country, all over the world? How does that look like for you guys? Yeah, you know, UNCG is historically speaking uh, a, a school that primarily brings in-state students as part of the North Carolina uh, system. Uh, there's a high um, percentage of in-state students in the undergraduate programs. Um, mm-hmm. Our program, however, is a little over 50% out of state. Um, so mm-hmm. we still do, to, you know, we definitely have, I think, a responsibility to students in North Carolina. That's not to say that we mm-hmm. um, that we save spots or anything, but, you know, we definitely, uh, we see a lot of North Carolinians audition for us. And we um, we definitely try to kind of honor the, 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 the history of this institution in that way. Yep. Um, that said... We have students from all over the country, as far west as California, as far north as New York area, kind of tri-state area, um, and everything in between. Um, We see a lot of students from Ohio, Texas, Georgia. Uh, Those three states Mm -hmm. seem to be major kind of feeder states for us. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, like I said, I think uh, our talent auditions are truly kind of based on that. They're they're based on the people that we see that we really want to work with and that we think would do well with our training and our program. So. as the years progress, we'll see if it continues to lie around that 50-50 yep. point or if it starts to push more out of state or, you know, I think we're open to any uh, possibility there. Well, some of those percentages may have to do with what we're going to talk about next, which is cost. So, yes. you know, what we found is in-state was seventeen seven, um, and out-of-state was 33. H- how does that generally work in terms of the theater students? Obviously, with only eight students, you can be pretty specific with, you know, scholarships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, are we getting academic scholarships from UNCG? Is there any manipulation of in-state, out-of-state tuition possible? How does it work in terms of if I, I'm someone who, say, assume I'm out-of-state listening to this, mm-hmm. And I don't want to pay the 33. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I, how does that work generally if I'm a, an incoming yeah. student? Yeah, I mean, it's listen, as a newer program, it's one of the things that I'm still working very hard on is um, uh, uh, scholarship endowment. I mean, we're, we're, we're cracking away at it and um, getting there, but totally. it, it takes time, as, as you know. Um, so, you know, I won't, um, I, I don't think anyone here is paying the full, you know, 33. Um, mm-hmm. I, the, one of the challenges is that many of the scholarship opportunities that are through the university are um, uh, geared towards in-state students, um, which is part of the reason why this is, a, a you know, for undergraduates, uh, a, an institution that attracts in-state students. Um, also, many, many of our scholarships are need-based. Um, um, so for someone who demonstrates need and is out of state, there is a good bit of money um, to be had. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's less need, 
and you're out of state, then it, it starts to, to shift a bit. We do have talent scholarships, um, uh, musical theater uh, based scholarships that I definitely try to award um, both based on need, but also based on, uh, you know, out of state versus in state. Obviously, the out of state uh-huh. students have a have a, a bigger lift when it comes to cost. Um, and I'll also say, though, that, you know, I think one thing that's great about UNCG is that our what I'll call our, our rack rate, you know, if, if you want to go with that, is, I yep. think, um, still a, a good bit less than many institutions of out of state or in state. So it's, um, you know, I think the university in whole tries to keep the cost down um, as higher education costs, um, totally. you know, are rising uh, everywhere. Um, and we certainly work with families. We have we have um, opportunities for students to work on campus and our box offices and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So there's um there's opportunities to help fill the gaps where they where they appear. And I know some of the schools that have the in-state, out-of-state tu- tuition have some, and maybe you can't officially talk about these things, but have some manipulation of, hey, after a certain amount of time, I'm able to qualify for in-state. Or is, is this off to be cut from the episode? Because I can't even say this out loud. But how does that work? <laughs> is UNCG um, forgiving where they go, oh, yeah, after a year, if your mom moves here or whatever? You know, how does that work in terms of that 17,000 difference? Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I this is a, a dream of mine that um, someday we'll be able to offer um, – students, uh, undergraduate students in-state tuition, um, which cer- some institutions can do. North Carolina mm-hmm. is a, a, a bit more strict about that. Um, and it's not just UNCG, it's actually the North Carolina system and the way totally. the Board of Governors yeah. kind of um, controls things. Um, it, it is certainly possible to um, switch over to in-state, uh, you know, um, classification, but it, it's, it is a complicated procedure and it ha- has to actually really be documented and um, it's not just my correctly. aunt lives there and I'm living with my aunt now. So exactly. some, some schools are a little easier that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely a little, a little more specific about it than that. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, for, for, uh, UNCG only does tuition waiver, in-state tuition waivers for graduate students. They don't do it for undergraduate students. Uh-huh. Um, like I said, it's a dream of mine. Um, but We'll see. Maybe in another few we'll years, it will, it will change. Um, you started off the very beginning chatting a little bit about UNCG as sort of a, a larger university. I just love to hear, like, outside of the theater program, what kind of opportunities, maybe especially academic opportunities, but also, mm-hmm. you know, clubs and those kind of things, what opportunities do the theaters majors have um, outside of the theater school? Yeah, um, this is one of the things I love. And, and it's, you know, when I was applying to programs, I applied to a lot of conservatories as a musician and a lot of universities. And I wasn't really sure as a young person what I wanted. Um, and looking back, I'm really glad I made the decision I did because one of the first questions we ask students when they do their interviews with us is, so what else do you do? You know, what, what else mm-hmm. excites you? What, you know, um, which is kind of an evil question to ask a theater kid because they do theater all the time, all of them, you know, no matter what. But, um, mm-hmm. but to that end, um, we are a 20,000 student institution. So we're not one of the huge universities of, you know, 60,000, but we are big enough that there are tremendous academic programs. Um, our students are minoring in everything from history, anthropology, languages to American sign language, arts administration, music, dance, you know, there's just opportunities for anything academically. Um, And um, as well as socially, there's 17 division one sports teams. There's, um, you know, there's, there's fraternity sororities, Greek life. There's, um, I think there's kind of something for everyone. And and so much of it depends Mm -hmm. on the student. Um, Some of our students take a lot of, um, you, you know, get really involved in things outside the theater bubble and others get here and they're like, you know what, I've waited my, my, you know, 18 years now to really just like focus on the theater thing. And that's what I'm mm-hmm. going to do. And, and it, so it depends on the student, uh, kind of what they do with that. But, you know, it, it's a, it's a, a large mid-sized to large university. And that comes with a lot of different programs that are available. Um, and we absolutely work with our students to, to open up those possibilities for them. I love it. And you mentioned some of those minors. I guess I'd love to hear about like, how does that work with coordinating minors when, when wanted? And also, is there of the possibility, do you have students who do double majors and how would that work if so? Yeah. Um, minors are common, I would say. I, I think I would imagine probably 80% of our BFA um, students are minoring. Um, and minors are quite easy to to handle, really. Um, mm-hmm. There's, um, and again, you know, uh, pretty much every program on campus has a, a minor program. Um, and so uh, that is easy to handle. Double majoring is a different story. Be- just because there's 
so little overlap between a BFA training program and literally anything mm -hmm. else on campus. Um, you mm -hmm. know, if you, if you want a double major in psychology and sociology or, you know, something like that, chances are there's going to be some overlapping classes that you can kind of double dip. That doesn't exist. Your, your ballet class, they don't actually care about in the psychology department, though they should. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, so the, that's the, the catch. And I think double majoring, double majoring is possible if you want to be in school for an extra couple of years. Um, right. But I would not recommend that. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to get involved in other areas without, without the double major. Um, and I think that's pretty consistent across BFA programs. There, I know there's some that are the rare to, BFA program. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Easily major. Yeah. 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 Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, final decisions. You're mentioning uh, your rack, or now we talk a little about your yield in terms of when you're picking eight students. Oof, you know, you're really going to be specific about which eight you take in and which eight say yes to you and all that. Yeah. I just love to hear about kind of like what is your growth mindset as a program because i'll say and i'll say this again about you go you in in way of intro that you know this is a program that is really emerging onto the landscape in a serious way i mean mm -hmm. i think that the way people talk about uncg is like oh well, watch out for you you know it's common yeah, right? yeah yeah how do you approach that pitch to students you know because often you are competing against schools that may have been out there for 100 years or 85 yep. years or whatever you know how do you pitch the the newness of your school versus what you're hoping to become do you see this as a hey i'm going to continue grow 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 till i reach a certain point or how do you sort of see that growth and and how does that relate to your pitches when you're trying to um, convince students to to come and sit be one of the eight yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think as grow, 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 as far as um, numbers, I really don't have any desire to to expand the program. I mean, and if we did, I think it might be maybe by one or two students. But again, I think so but no, much I, of I mean, the... growth in terms of it's your your competitiveness in terms of the gotcha. way people yeah. think about you in the end. Because I'll say I've, I've seen that grow in the past couple of years significantly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest uh, benchmarks we notice is just how many students come in with you on your list already. We often yeah. add a lot of schools to people's lists. We've added you to many students' lists. But now more and more students come in already having heard of you. Already, yeah. You know, yeah. that that is, which is good for the current students, good for the future mm -hmm. students. All, that, all that's mm -hmm. good. Yeah. yeah, no. And and listen, as far as that, I mean, I I... I came here to build kind of a, a a program of national prominence and 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 a program that uh, more than just kind of the you know the 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 recognition of the program or, or people knowing about it. I what I'm really excited about is to work with these young people and um, train them in a really um, meaningful way. You know, like I think I, I think beyond um, people knowing about us or our students booking work and you know all those things, those will come. Um, what's really exciting to me, having worked with so many tremendous, um, folks in the industry you, you, and you name, you know, you named Krista and Ethan, who are two great examples. Um, the thing about these people who are, who become kind of, uh, marquee names in our industry is mm -hmm. they're all really special individuals. Um, and they are people who have learned how to be unapologetic about their individuality and what about their individuality makes them castable and makes them interesting on stage and, and translates to their industry. And so that to me is the, is the goal. When you talk about growth, when you talk about kind of like expanding the program, I think if we do our job that we've laid out to do, which is take each of these eight students that come into us and instill in them this confidence in their own individuality and what about them is special and what about them, not strip away things from them, but build on what they have. Um, mm -hmm and help them translate that to a life on the stage. Um, all the other stuff I think will come. And I think that's what is happening. I think we, and as part of our, you know, you mentioned, you know, those offers and you know, how we decide, and it's a big part of that decision. It's, we can, we can fix the singing voice. We can, we can fix it. You know, like there are certain things that we know we can do in our program, but the one thing we can't do is, just that essence of, of individuality mm -hmm. and, you know, like that, that, and that's what we look for so, so deeply as we recruit. I don't know if that answered your question at all, but it's it was a great know, answer. What, um, whether it was exactly my question, who cares? <laughs> it was a great answer. I liked but, it. You know, I was, but, uh, and, 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 you know, to be totally honest, of course I want the program to grow. Of course I want recognition. Of yeah. course I want, because that's only good for our students, you know, that, that only yeah. will help them down the line and our alumni. Um, but I think, the way for me, I just think the way to do it is really buckle down on those that are in this program and the work that we're doing with them and that yeah. they will build the program. They will grow the program, you know.
Well, and some of the, the sort of really difficult knife's edge conversation that I'm, you know, is inherent in my question is maybe a little bit more for the students to decide of going, you know, I, I, the examples, we've now multiple examples of students in the past couple of years who have cho- chosen UNCG over big, been around for 60, right. 70 years programs, right? Yeah. And so they're making that call of going, we see the way the stock is yeah. rising. We see the arrow. Yeah. Do we trust it to keep rising? You know, that, yeah. that's, I guess, their decision to go. Do I trust yeah. it's going to continue? Or, yeah. You know, um, and, you know, and part of, a big part of that is our, our recruitment process and and uh, me just sitting and talking to them about yeah. about this training, about what we do here. And, you know, listen, there's no perfect program. Every program has its its challenges and its, um, its ups and downs and everything. But I think um, I think what we're doing is exciting and special and different in, in a lot of ways, and um, I, I just want I'm going to keep focusing on that while while it's it. working. Well, on the back end, as we take our little break, we'll t- dive deep into that exact admissions recruitment process. So, back in a flash. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we are back with Dominic Amendum, and we're going to dive into the audition slash admission process for UNCG. Um, I'm going to start you off with a, a, a t- tricky question. Just mm-hmm. in short, what do you think makes a good audition for you? What makes you want to say, yes, you deserve one of these eight spots? Oh, man, that is that is a tricky question. And um, I get asked it a lot, and, uh, and I don't know that I still even know the answer. Um, mm-hmm. and here's here's the, the truth of the matter is there are people who just walk into the room, and this is true in the industry too, by the way, when I'm, when I'm casting shows in New York or, you know, um, there are people who walk into that audition room and just kind of are themselves, are confident, but are um, kind and fun and laugh with us and really engage with us. They're present. Um, and that is very exciting. Um, we see, just like in the industry, we see a lot of good singers. We see a lot of good actors. We see a lot of good dancers, you know, like, and we can work with that. Um, but there's that other piece of just who that person is and they can just carry themselves in the room and, and, um, and just be present and have fun. And, um, that Mm -hmm. it, that those are the people who I write, you know, underlines and stars next to their names on my list. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. And you mentioned that earlier, the sort of you can't teach that special individual artistry right. that they have, but you can teach them to help with their voice or their dance or their, yeah, their yeah. acting. How do those calculations work in your mind? Like if there's a percentage of it, say it's, it's 75, 25 in terms of talent versus that special <clears throat> artistry or, or vice versa, or is it about clearing a certain bar of talent? I guess where mm-hmm. does talent factor in? If, if we're especially looking for that special spark that someone has, yeah. how does then the talent weeding out factor in? Yeah, too? I think for, I, I think what you said there, I think there's a, a bar that must be cleared you know i i yes of course we can um we can work with people with singers and actors and dancers and all that um but there's certainly a a, you know a threshold where it just feels like there's someone who is going to be um ready for the training and competitive in a bfa program like this you know we don't want to bring someone in who's um who's going to struggle so i think there's definitely a threshold of of kind of a vocal ability acting ability that that kind of thing that we need students to meet um and then beyond that, it's it's more about uh, the kind of combination of other factors. And, you know, and I'll also say uh, it was one of the hard things about the virtual auditions. Um, and one good thing for your students and families to know um, is that audition starts the minute you walk into mm-hmm. the front door of our building. Like w- we've got eyes on you during check in and the way you're talking to your mom and, you know, like all that stuff. Um, it's it's all kind of uh, factored into the day as we just kind of see how people uh-huh. navigate um, the experience with us. Uh, that's why our audition days are full days of, of kind of activities and stuff, because that's really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. Well, let's dive into some of those different audition mediums, especially. Yes, um, yes. I'd love to maybe start with the pre-screen. So mm-hmm. you guys participate in the common pre-screen, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, of course a lot of schools do. Mm-hmm. How do you defactor? And I'd love to hear kind of the decision to join the common pre-screen <clears throat> versus, you know, asking for your own different, unique thing, right? I know everyone, of course, wants to make it as easy as possible on the students, but different schools kind of feel a certain way about, I don't want to just be another box that you're checked, especially yeah. if you're going to be one of eight. So we need you to yeah. care about our schools. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, um, 
Man, I think it's it's a fine line. I think um, again, the point for me, the point of the pre-screen is again to kind of cross a, cross the threshold. It's for us just to get uh-huh. to know you well enough to make sure that you're someone who we think we could see in the program, who we think uh, we want to spend the time in person with in the final audition. Um, so by that account, I don't want a 17 year old student who's got a lot going on in their senior year to have to create a whole entire pre-screen package just for us. Um, mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel ethical to me given what the pre-screen actually is. Um, there are things that we ask students to prepare specially for us for their audition, but I just think the pre-screen is a tool uh, for us to use to make sure that that is someone that we want to get to campus. And because of that, I don't think it's worth it to make a student jump through hoops like that. I think the more we can line up with other programs, the better. And we were one of the first programs to join the Universal pre-screen when it, yeah. when it first came out. And I'm I'm proud of that. I think the, this BFA audition uh, process is a, is a beast. And the more we can all get together and say, let's not torture these these poor seniors yes. in high school the better <laughs> from your lips absolutely yeah, yeah um okay but then let's talk about some of those other like maybe whether regional auditions earlier auditions so i know you guys mm-hmm. have participated in the past in pittsburgh unifieds mm-hmm. can you talk through about that your decision on that end in terms of that altered timeline right if you're auditioning much earlier in the year and mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. early october yeah how does that work to your advantage and disadvantage and maybe the students as well so um, yeah, we've uh, we've uh, participated in Pittsburgh and um, CAP, uh, you know, just a mm-hmm. few other um, unified auditions. Um, the uh, what we typically do on those is use them as very targeted live pre-screens. Um, we uh-huh. still invite students who do those um, auditions with us to a final audition on campus or even a final virtual audition, just because for two reasons. I think it's better for the student. Um, because seeing us that early in the process does sometimes put them at a disadvantage to be, to be totally Mm -hmm. honest. I think, um, uh, if it's that early, it can, sometimes they're not at the forefront of our minds when we're making decisions in, in February, March. Um, uh, so if, if we are someone they are really interested in, we want them to come to campus, get a sense for who we are on the ground, um, and just meet us again and, and, you know, do a little material for us. Um. Uh, so that's kind of how we've used those in the past. Um, but again, I would still, if there's someone who's really interested in us and who we're really interested in, I plan to speak to them and really encourage them to come and give us a campus visit. I think that's so important. Well, and let's talk about that. So, I mean, this is, we talk to students a lot about this when they're maybe in the wait list process a little Mm -hmm. later, you know, if they did a January edition and they're trying to, you know, work through March and how they communicate, Mm -hmm. how does that relationship, how do you prefer that relationship? If you meet October 12th, I'm using Pittsburgh Unified since that's Mm -hmm. the earliest, right? If you meet October 12th or October 13th or whatever it is in in your year, and then knowing that the big admission is probably happening in February, Mm -hmm. or if it happens earlier, their decision certainly is not going to happen until the spring. How do you like that relationship to continue in terms of, are they emailing you once a month? Are they sending you videos? What, what do you prefer in terms of communication? Yeah, um, I, I say this in our audition days, actually, and it's it's maybe one of the more awkward things I, I say, and I say a lot of awkward things, but um, uh, which is that this BFA audition process is like dating. As, as much as it's important for you to know that we like you, it's also helpful yeah. for us to know that you like us. Um, because yeah. at the end of the day, I you know, when we're only making eight offers, it, it's literally the worst few weeks of my life every year, because I want to make 40 offers every year. There are people that I am really invested in. Um, we're only making eight offers. Our wait list are people who a, any other program would be just making them an offer. You know, like it's, it's mm-hmm. just, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's torturous. So, um, so beyond that, I want to make offers to the people who really want to be here. Uh, you know, like I, and not that it's a waste of time to offer someone who maybe we're fourth on their list and they're going to wait to hear about those other three schools first. Mm-hmm. But if we're first on someone's list, they're going to work their butt off when they get here. You know, like it's just like totally. those are the people who I want in this program. So um, it's really helpful for me to know that. And, you know, like, yes, you can cross the line. I don't need to hear from you every three days. I don't need, you know, <laughs> gifts showing up on my doorstep or anything. But an occasional <laughs> email that's just like, Hey, you know, I'm still really interested. You, you guys are really at the top of my list. I'm, you know, like that really helps us as we make our yeah. decisions. It really does. Totally. No, I love the dating analogy. We've made it many times on the pod already, but yeah. you know, there is something about uh, it, it is m- maybe intuitive in dating, but not always in the college process. That like mm-hmm. you don't want to be the dog who catches the car. Like right. you don't want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you. Like right, right. You know, of course we know that dating wise, but I think most students, if you ask them honestly, even if that school doesn't want you, do you want to trick your way into them? They would 
say yes right now. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. As soon as they get there, they would go, no, no, no. I yeah, actually exactly. want to be at a school that wants me exactly. and that cares for me. And, exactly. You know, and and the flip, by the way, the flip side of that too is, and I mentioned it already, but, um, you know, our waitlist is very active because we only do make eight offers and, um, right. and, and we're not a program, you know, some programs will make 30 offers expecting it to get 20 yeses. We make eight offers and that's part of the way that we protect the diversity of all types in our yes. program is by only making very specific offers for the spots that we have. Um, and so because of that, our waitlist is very active. We have students come off our waitlist every year. And the thing that I continually try to hammer home is that, what I said, uh, the, our waitlist are people that I desperately want to work with. They are not yes. second choice. They are not, you know, like there are so many things that go into the decision-making. They are people that I want in this program. Um, and so I want to be very clear about that too, um, that, you know, that I think sometimes there can be that sense of like, oh, well, I was on the waitlist. Um, you know, th yeah. the day we start classes, no one knows or cares who is on the waitlist or not. You're yeah. all a student here. We're all working together towards a common goal. That That's the end of it. I love that. Well, and and, I, and that's really helpful because you know some schools do. To your point, they take thirty, and some schools also say, you know, we we we'll, we'll end up with the diversity that we end up with. You know, that's right. not something that they're always conscious of, whether that's diversity of race or gender or height or right, whatever right. you know geographical diversity we're talking about, right? Um, how does that work for you as you're thinking about? You know, you're not going to be able to get exact all identity types, you know, right. mirrored one to one in terms of people. But, you know, if you've accepted eight and assuming you don't yield all eight, which most schools do not yield 100 mm -hmm. percent of the students they accept. Mm -hmm. How does that work as you're factoring in? OK, somebody seems like they're going toward a no. I'm going toward a yes. How are you balancing those scales? Um, you know, our wait list is, um, again, very specific in that. You might be number one for this spot and you might not even be in on the wait list for this spot or, you know, like uh -huh. the wait list is kind of um, uh, specific to those eight offers. And, um, uh, you know, we definitely are looking at many things, the class above you, again, with only eight in the class, we, we do really want to make sure that they're, it's an incredibly diversified group of people that we bring in. Uh -huh. And that's also good for our students because it gives them more casting opportunities. You know, if you have... Uh -huh. 10 of the same type, um, nine of them aren't going to get cast, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, so, um, uh, so we're looking at so many different factors and, you know, so far, knock on wood, we've been really successful. Um, but, and again, diversity means so much more to us than, than simply race. It's, it is like mm -hmm. voice type, it's body type. It's, uh, you know, it's just, it, there's so many different things that we're looking for yep. to make sure that we can serve so many different kinds of people in this program. I love it. Well, let's dive into academics. So if you want a student of the eight artistically, you've seen them at whatever. Mm -hmm. So you've seen them early out of Pittsburgh. You've seen them uh, in January. Either way, you've seen an audition at this point. Mm -hmm. How much now is based on academics like grades or test scores or essays? Anything in the application aside from the artistic part of it factor in for you? Yeah, um, uh, very little. Uh, we, we actually try to keep our BFA uh, auditions and application process completely separate from the university admissions process. Um, the the last thing we will do when we have decided which eight we want to make offers to is check with the university that they all have um, cleared the bar of university admits. Um, yeah. And in the past, there have been some people that haven't that the university's worked with us on. Um, we we have a, a um, someone in the program who came from like a, a, a ballet boarding school kind of situation um, where she mm -hmm. was for a number of years. And um, so she lacked certain academic things. And the, I, I made a case with the Office of Admissions and said, you know, this is an exceptional performer. And um, and they were they were great with that. So even then, we can still kind of help guide the, the decision yep. um, within reason, of course, you know, but you do have to you do have to clear that hurdle of university acceptance. Um, but that operates totally independently of, of our process. We really kind of want the two things to live in, in separate silos yep. until the very end. So you're not, you're certainly, that would mean that not reading like their common app essay. No. Do you read anything supplemental? Do you read letters of recommendation? Do you, do you look at any parts of the application in that way? Um, no, students will send us uh, sometimes artistic letters of recommendation. We don't, we don't require it, but they, but some students uh -huh. send them. Um, and I do read those. Um, otherwise we, um, we, we place a lot of kind of, um, uh, you know, weight on their interview that they do with us as part of their audition process. For us, that is the essay kind of, um, right. sit, sitting in the room across from them. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you mentioned, you know, um, virtual auditions. So you are maintaining now moving forward virtual auditions as well as those on campus days. 
We are, you know, it's it, for us. It was important to one one thing that a, a positive that came out of the, that virtual year. Um, uh, I think was accessibility. Uh, we we got to see students from uh, various places around the country that maybe couldn't have afforded to fly or drive, put themselves up, you know, et cetera, for an, uh, an on-campus audition. And so I really wanted to hold on to that accessibility. Um, uh, I don't I don't think that anything can beat a campus visit. I think I, I would, I'll say it again and again, if someone is really interested in us, I think getting to campus and meeting us in person and see, sitting in on classes, all that is so important. But I think the virtual auditions are a really wonderful tool for accessibility and a great step to just get people from further afield that might um, not be able to make it otherwise. Totally makes sense. In, you know, your few years here, like what surprised you? What do you feel like you learned? Maybe you came in thinking, I'm going to know X, Y, and Z. I'm coming from the industry. I know all this about about scholastic academic changes that I want to make or how I Mm want to establish this. What were, were the things that you're like, boy, I was right about that. That felt like I hit that on the head. And there were the things you go, oh, now that I've actually interacted with it, I see how it works a little differently. What, what has been sort of your learning of uh, this experience? Yeah. Um, boy, that's a good question. I think um, I think there's two things come to mind, really. I think the, the first is um, the, how kind of slowly the, the wheels of higher education turn and how, you know, like it, it is like uh, steering a, a very large ocean liner sometimes. Um, which I'm going to, I'm going to turn this into a positive now. Watch, watch me go. Um, the, um, <laughs> the, uh, it's one of the things that has been helpful to us as a smaller program. And as a newer program is that we're writing a curriculum. Now we're creating a curriculum, you mm-hmm. know, in the last five years. Um, and as a smaller program, like we pivoted so quickly for COVID, we were doing, uh-huh. uh, original film musicals that could be filmed in COVID safe environments written by underrepresented writers. And I mean, we, we were doing like checking all the boxes because mm-hmm. we were new and, and, um, nimble, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, when you talk about the hundred year old programs, um, that is part of the challenge of those programs is reacting to the industry as a slower process, I think for those big yep. established programs. Um, so that was one of the things that would both surprise me where I was like, oh, wait, I have to go through 12 committees and, and 18 forms to make that change. Mm-hmm. Um, but also one thing I think we've been able to play into our favor. And then the other thing that I wasn't ready for, to be honest, was, um, and we just talked to all our incoming freshmen about this, um, the toll that COVID has taken on this generation mm. Um, mm. and um, the just the, the mental health and kind of wellness challenges of this generation, I think, because of that. Um, and one thing I'm very passionate about um, is supporting our students in that journey and making sure that they have the resources um, here and otherwise, um, but also um, making the transition from um, the um, from like the need for a, a mental health day, meaning you don't show up, to it yep. meaning I do show up and I. I learn how to navigate through that and I learn how to do the best work I could do that day. Um, it's, it's college is really a transition time for this generation. I think to start to, to understand that when you're out of college, a mental health day might mean that you don't get that job or that you, that right. you're, you're passed over. And so supporting our students, but also getting them to a point that they are showing up and are, and are showing up for each other first and foremost. Um, that is, I wasn't pr- fully prepared for the just yeah. all of that part of the job and part of the program. I think who could be, and, and yeah. it's so smartly said that finding that balance because, yep. of course, they need the support um, that they need. You know, of course, mm-hmm. it, given mm-hmm. the specific challenge of COVID, but also the support they need to potentially make some of the changes to the parts of the industry that need to be changed that are Absolutely. toxic, yep. and that, you know, yep. but then also to live within the bounds. It can't, can't create such a bubble in a college that they're just absolutely shocked when they go, okay, but that's so not how the world works. That yeah. doesn't work yeah. for me. And, exactly. and how am I going to work in this industry? It's, yeah. it's a really tough, I, I don't envy that specific balance that you've got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I am so interested to, to see, I mean, we certainly have observed the, the sort of toll that COVID has taken on, mm-hmm. we're saying generation, I hope it's not the full generation. I sort of, I yeah. wonder if how, how deep the ring cuts of, of yeah. you know, was it two classes, three classes that was deeply affected? It seems like maybe even this upcoming year is not as sort of traumatized by it in the yeah. same way that the yeah. sophomores, juniors who, you know, really were stuck in it in the worst way. But I guess that we're still going to see. 
Yeah, well, I think we're all still uh, figuring out what what life life after COVID is, right? Oh my gosh, I know. I mean, <laughs> here I am. I'm getting married in a week, and yeah. uh, you know, it's like that was from three years ago, and we're finally yeah. trying to reclaim that stuff. I mean, it's just, exactly it takes time. Yeah. Um, I'd love to end on. Do you have any advice? So, um, you know, you've now helped a number of families and, and students through this process. Maybe especially for the parents, we have a lot of parent listeners mm-hmm. who are sort of going, "All right, this is the first episode I've listened to of Mapping the College Edition." I don't know how this process works. I'm mm-hmm. a little overwhelmed. I don't know mm-hmm. how to help my child through this process. Any mm-hmm. advice to those parents who might be listening? Well, I mean, I think there's there's certainly a lot of resources out there um, that um, exist that you can, you know, I know there's Facebook groups and, you know, obviously th- this institution and, you know, like there, there are so many different resources that you can read up on. But the one thing I would say is, oh man, uh, you know, like y- your child does theater because they love it. And, and you know, like all, all of us started in that place because it was something that w- was a passion and, and we love. And it's one of the things that worries me about the BFA audition process is it's become such a beast that it, it mm-hmm. some of the joy gets zapped out of it. And it, it just becomes a mm-hmm. kind of a big, a big, scary process. And so, you know, there, there's all those things are like, well, if you want to get five acceptances, you got to audition at 25 school. You know, there's all these kind mm-hmm. of like schools of thought and everything. And the one thing I would say is, there's, I think it's possible to do it your way. It's possible to figure out, you know, like, okay, as a family, we can commit to this many auditions and this many application fees and this, and that's what we're going to do. And I have developed a lot of trust in the process that students end up where they're meant to be. Um, mm-hmm. every, every year I see that, that students that I think belong with us and don't, then I, 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 I see them down the line and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a good choice for them. And students that mm-hmm. come, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like the, uh, every year, the eight we have, I think, well, well, those were the eight, those were the eight all along. Um, and so trusting the process, trusting that, that your child uh, will end up where they're meant to be. Um, and even if that's not right away, we, we, we are trying to become a more transfer friendly program. And, um, uh-huh. and uh, you know, we've, we've had, we had one student transfer in who auditioned for us, chose elsewhere and then, called me a year later and was like, I made the wrong choice. And I, Uh um, and she, again, she belonged here without, without Mm -hmm. a doubt. So, you know, I think just trusting the process and setting your own parameters and really knowing what your child, your family can, can, can do and support and ending there. And then, and then believing that the rest will, will fall into place. And I think also reaching out to the people who know there's, there's a lot of people who can help. I'm, I'm always happy to chat with people, you know, it's just reach out to people who can give you guidance. I love it. Such good advice. And boy, is it true in terms of the joy of this process that if you're mm-hmm. not, if you're not able to successfully bring that joy into the room, if mm-hmm. you're bringing the ball of stress of all the applications and things, then that's what's, they're not, they're not going to meet your best self. And then you, exactly. then you could end up going, what school actually would have loved you if they got to meet you, but they exactly. met this terrified, yep. stressed person. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Advice. Um, if people want to check out more information, what's the best way to check it? We have Instagram handles. We have, do you want websites? Where, where's the best place you direct someone to? Yeah, I think um, musicaltheater.uncg.edu is um, the, the direct link to our website, which has a lot of info. And then mm-hmm. our um, Instagram, uh, which is at uncgmt, is very active mm-hmm. and I think gives people a, a lot of just kind of insight into day in the life, kind of what our students are up to, what, you know, what's going on here. Um, those are the best ways as well as I'll keep saying it, schedule a visit. We, we love to have visitors. We love to folks come and sit in on classes, observe voice lessons, you know, all of that is possible. And if people are interested in a visit, they can actually just email me directly if they would like to, and I'll get them set up with the people who can uh, get a visit on the books. Awesome. And we will put all of that information in our show notes so people can click or copy and paste if they're Amazing. emailing you directly. Perfect. Uh, Dominic, thanks so much for the time today. This was such a pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And thanks to your listeners. I, I hope I get to meet a lot of them soon. Oh, heck yeah. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dominic. Such an easy conversation. And I think a really clear and cogent advocate for his program. He also uses our favorite dating analogy, which you all must think he's going to do a takeaway on. But no, I've done too many takeaways on the dating as college prep analogy. So I'm going to leave it right there, as tempting as it was. Um, I do like the way that he talks about showing interest and how important that is in programs of smaller classes. I've also talked about that before. So some of that same advice that we give come waitlist time, especially, but really throughout this process, most especially when you're dealing with programs that might not always assume that you might be their number one or they're even their number two or top whatever um, from the get-go. 
I also think Dominic is another great example, and we've had many of them, about the advantages of up-and-coming programs, being able to really have their finger on the pulse and be nimble in adjusting to the industry as it is now, as opposed to some of the more behemoth institutions that might not be so quick to make those changes. There's some kind of boating analogy, which I'm not sure exactly what it is, but you know, like a speedboat versus a cruise line or whatever. One of them can turn faster than the other, and somehow it's better to be the speedboat, even though, of course... In some other ways, it's nice to be the cruise line. Maddie from Chico State, I think, made a very similar analogy. Um, he also himself is a UNC G alum, so maybe that's why I'm thinking of him in this episode. Uh, but he talked about sort of taking advantages of taking the advantage of being a newer, nimbler program as opposed to needing to, you know, work through all the red tape of some of these larger institutions. But what I do want to do a little bit of a takeaway on today, uh, and I think it's going to be a long one. I often say like, oh, this will be a short takeaway. This one's probably going to be a long one. Um, it's just about uh, the way Dominic talked about diversity. I did really appreciate the concise way he defined the broader meaning of the word diversity. I feel like I often stumble over a long list whenever I'm trying to clarify that this question does not only mean race. Um, and I think he did that really well. But I also think really fascinating in the way he talked about diversity in terms of their representation. Aside from UNCG, the larger institution, being a majority minority serving institution um, as a whole university, he talked about the eight spots that they have and that they give out exactly eight offers and then a specific wait list for each spot. Meaning, depending on your identity, you might be eligible for more of the spots in the eight versus someone else who might only be eligible for one. You hear me ask that question almost every episode, not every episode, but pretty close. You're probably sick of it. But the reason I ask that is I think it's kind of essential in understanding how a program thinks about diversity and identity if that's something that's really important to you. And again, different people are, are going to have different opinions on how important it is to them or how they view the optimal perspective on it. You've heard almost every school say a version of, quote unquote, diversity is very important to us. And you've also heard some schools say, quote unquote, we value diversity and maybe even weight it in their initial offers, but then they take no control over who and how they yield. So if we happen to end up with uh, an all-female identifying class, then that's just how it goes. And some will not say that outright, but be relatively comfortable to varying degree of diversity in different factors, mostly letting the chips fall where they may, but then maybe adding an additional filter of something like a rough gender balance or close to a 50-50 balance, and maybe just like a cross check to make sure their class isn't going to be nearly all white, right? They won't say those last two parts explicitly, but you can kind of infer them from looking through the classes. And then some schools have said, we are committing to a very specific quota of at least 50% BIPOC students. And while many schools won't want to give you a full peek behind the curtain, that's certainly their prerogative, it definitely is fascinating to me how these conversations happen if you've not chosen to be one of those articulated extremes that I just mentioned. And again, that's not to say the way that Dominic does it is necessarily better in my opinion, but I think it is specific and it's tangible and relatively clear in you understanding the specific ways they are bringing these questions of identity to a high level of prominence in selecting their classes. And again, most importantly here in these questions in their wait lists. And for schools who don't operate that way, you know, let's say they do a, a number ordered rank in their wait list and just commit to it, a number one through hundred, and then I'm just gonna take them in that order. You are necessarily, mathematically, going to yield a less diverse class when viewed over time because other schools are prioritizing certain identities at a ratio that is not reflective of the auditioning public. And then they're running their wait list the way that Dominic mentions that he does. So this is one of those things that just like feels like a math problem that schools sometimes pretend is a philosophical one or try to kind of look away from and shrug their shoulders at why their classes look the way they do as if it's completely out of their control. Again, I'll say it again, that is not me giving a moral judgment on what I think is right or the right way to handle. This is, of course, a very incredibly complex issue. But I do think I see an intellectual clarity in what Dominic says or in programs who say they're genuinely okay with a class having any possible identity makeup. Maybe since they're saying, hey, I'm looking at the individual artists and those artists are choosing wherever they choose and I'm not going to control that. But more schools than not will give you an answer somewhere in between. And I think some of that is because they don't want to see, you know, you to see how the sausage gets made. But a big part of that is they don't want to fully acknowledge it themselves, whatever the math that they are actually using. And I'll even step back and say, I don't personally believe that these polls are the only intellectually honest positions. Not at all. So often in these cases, that murky gray is where plenty of the answers lie. And I think most would agree that questions of geographical diversity and vocal diversity are not equivalent to race or neurodiversity. And even further, that 
even these any of these identifiable identity markers are not always as relevant as personality traits that might be very impactful for class makeup, even if it's not a box that you can check on a government form. But in 2023, I will say I don't find a lot of people speaking logically and sensibly in terms of these definitions and how they approach these questions from a gray middle position, even if you might be able to sort of suss out a loosely defined idea for themselves that they've come up with if you were to look at their yields and try to like reverse engineer it. Well, that's it. I promised a long takeaway and you got a long takeaway. Another episode of Mapping the College Edition in the books, complete with a serious diatribe from your favorite host and produced by Megan Cordier. Check us out on Instagram at Mapping the College Edition. Head over to our website at mtca.nyc. Give us some love via the ratings and reviews. And of course, feel free to give me your intellectually honest position on all things identity in that review if you choose to do it. And just triple check for me that you've hit that subscribe button. If you've already hit it once, please don't hit it again. If you haven't hit it yet, once is enough. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, do you feel like my long takeaways make you want me to do another mailbag episode soon? Are those fun for you? Feel free to email us at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com. If so, and we will see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.